Hey guys, Warren Sharp here, and we are off to a ridiculously hot start in NFL betting recommendations over at chartfootballanalysis.com. 16 and 6 to start the season. That's 73%. Computer tolls, which started last week, we won four out of those five. And now here we go into week four, and I've already got five computer totals out there. But before you just run to the website and try to buy the package, I want you to hold up and listen to this announcement. Thursday night football. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals wearing their all-white jerseys going up against Miami Dolphins and Tua. Two high-flying offenses, a point total that's projected to hit 47 points. We are doing a points promo on Thursday Night Football. That means that on Friday, you can go to the website, and however many total points that these two teams actually combine to score on Thursday night, that's the percentage you get off Everything at sharpfootballanalysis.com on Friday. It will only last for one day. So let me repeat. If this score ends 30 to 27, 57 points are scored, you get 57% off the website on Friday. This is a deal you do not want to miss. You want to root for a lot of points to be scored on Thursday night because that's the percentage off that you are going to get over at Sharp Football Analysis on Friday. This will last one day only. Mark it down. Be ready to come to the website on Friday and get however many percent off. Could be 75%. Could be 35%. Either way, you're going to save a ton and we are off to a super hot start. So pay attention on Friday to sharpfootballanalysis.com. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. Before we dive into the week four player props, uh, first I'd like to start out by uh, looking back at a prop from last week, and this week is actually going to double as a player prop suggestion for the upcoming week, because I wanted to look at Brandon Ayuk's uh, receptions prop, which I gave out last week. I said, take the over on three and a half. Uh, he ended up with three receptions, so the under hit, but based on how the game unfolded, I actually feel pretty good about uh, how that game played out in terms of what we were expecting to happen. I think the going under the 3.5 last week was a little bit of a fluke. And if he sees the same workload moving forward as we were expecting, I think we're going to hit the over more often than not. Uh, he had three receptions on eight targets. So the workload was pretty good. Now we should reflect on that and say, you know, should we have expected him to come away with only three receptions on an eight target workload? And I don't think so. Over the past two seasons, Ayuka's had a 68% catch rate on passes from Garoppolo. So if he's seeing eight targets, he's going to hit the over on three and a half receptions more often than not. And in fact, when he sees at least six targets in a game over the past two years, he's finished with at least four receptions in eight of those 11 games. Now, this season in less than two games, about two, about a game and three quarters, he's already seen 15 targets from Garoppolo. And as I mentioned last week, from week eight through the end of the season, he was Garoppolo's most targeted receiver. And I don't I don't think that that's a case of just like selecting a random sample of games. Early in the season, he was clearly not a big part of the offense. He was not playing as much as some others in the offense. Obviously, everything was funneled through Debo Samuel. But as the season wore on, he gradually took on a bigger load. And throughout the second half of the season, it was clear that he was a big part of the offense. And actually, as I said, saw more targets from Garoppolo over the second half of the season than uh, Debo Samuel. And that's continued so far. He and Garoppolo seem to genuinely have a good connection. So I think the game played out pretty much as I expected. He saw eight targets. He's clearly a favorite weapon of Garoppolo. 
I think that's going to continue. And, you know, every so often we might have a game like this where it's, you know, three receptions on eight targets, but uh, we're going to win. If he's seeing eight targets, we're going to win the over on three and a half far more often than not. So as long as this line is available at three and a half, which it has been every game this season, I'm taking the over. All right. As I did last week, we're going to go position by position, but I actually don't have any quarterback props that really jumped out to me this week, at least at this point. So we're going to jump right to the running backs and we're going to start out with a couple of unders that I like for this week. The first one, we're going back to it. It's the Derrick Henry under on his rushing yards. I'm hoping this line is available around 77 yards or higher, but obviously he's gotten off to a slow start. So maybe it dips below that. Maybe I'll stay away, but Hopefully it stays around 77 or so, which is what I would expect, and I'll be on the under. And it really has a lot to do with the same reasons that I gave it out earlier this year and the same reason I said to take the under on his season-long rushing total. The Titans' offensive line is garbage. Uh, They're not clearing any running room for him whatsoever this year, and this was to be expected because they were pretty bad last year and didn't really make any meaningful changes. Now, Henry is obviously the type of running back that can produce when there's not a lot of room. He can run over people and, you know, you're rarely going to make him fall backwards. He's going to take that contact and still pick up a yard or two. But at the rate that he's getting contacted near the line of scrimmage, there's just no opportunity for him to break off long runs like we've seen him do in the past. So far this season, he's been hit at or behind the line of scrimmage and 59% of his rushing attempts. And that's led to him picking up 92% of his yards after contact. So he's really having to shoulder all of the workload in the run game. The offensive line isn't helping him out. Now, his previous career high for percentage of yardage picked up after contact was 85%. So as I said, he is going to get something done, even when you're contacting him close to the line of scrimmage. He's always been that type of runner, but Anybody, even Derrick Henry, needs a little bit of room to consistently put up big numbers in the run game. I mean, if he's contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage at such a high rate, the odds of him breaking off those longer runs are just very, very low. Yards of 15 runs or longer. I I didn't write this down in front of me, but I mentioned this down in the podcast before. When a running back gains 15 or more yards, it's something like 88% of the time, somewhere around that that rate, that they have three-plus yards of untouched yardage. So those longer runs, obviously it takes talent for a running back to take advantage of the defensive mistake, but it really takes a, or at least a combination of a defensive mistake and the offensive line clearing room for you. You need a few untouched yardage in order for you to have a chance to get to the second level into the secondary, and Henry's just not getting that chance so far this season now this week i particularly like the under on his rushing yards because he's going up against a colts defense that's allowing 0.3 yards before contact per attempt to running backs the league average is 1.3 so they're holding running backs a full yard below average here they're also contacting running backs at or behind the line of scrimmage on 59 percent of attempts identical to the rate that henry has been stopped or that he has been hit at or behind the line of scrimmage for the Colts defense, both of those numbers lead the league. So they have been completely shutting down any running lanes. Now, to be fair, they have played the Texans, Jaguars, and Chiefs. So they're not exactly elite rushing attacks. But as we just laid out, neither are the Titans right now. Their offensive line is a mess. So I think the Colts' run game dominance continues. 
and I'm, as long as Henry's line is available around 77 yards or higher, I'm going to be on the under. All right, I'm also on the under for another big-name running back, Austin Eckler, and as bad as the Titans' offensive line has been for Henry, the Chargers might be even worse. And, you know, it's it's not entirely due to a lack of talent over there. It's partially injuries have crept up into the mix. They've already had to use four different offensive line combinations for at least 25 or more snaps. Packers are the only other team to match that. Now, as far as the line for Eckler, I'm not quite sure what to expect because he's been just, I mean, they basically phased him out of the the game altogether last week, or at least they phased the run game out of the attack altogether. Obviously he's still a factor in the passing game. Uh, but so I don't know what to expect this week. I'm hoping the line is available around 52 yards. It was 52 and a half last week. They are favored in this game against Houston. And obviously Houston is not a great uh, run defense, although I'll, I'll get to some numbers on them in a second. They might be better than you expect. So I don't, I'm hoping this line is still available to similar number, just, you know, we're expecting them to be playing with a lead in this game. That's going to lead to an increased workload. But as long as it's available around 52 yards or so, I'm going to be on the under because I just don't think he's going to have any room to run behind his offensive line right now. So far on the season, he's averaging 0.1 yards before contact per attempt. He's basically being contacted at the line of scrimmage on almost every play. That's a league worst rate. 96% of Austin Eckler's yardage has come after contact. And obviously we just talked about a similar number for Derrick Henry, but it's even more concerning with Eckler because that's just not his style of play. Now he's capable of breaking tackles, obviously, but he's at his best when he's got a little bit of room to run and he can make people miss in the open field. That's why he's so valuable in the passing game. So if in the run game, he's consistently fighting through contact at or behind the line of scrimmage, he's just not going to get the job done in the run game. So I'm going to be on the under here as long as this line doesn't drop dramatically. Now I mentioned Houston's run defense being a little bit better than you might expect. They've actually contacted running backs at or behind the line of scrimmage on 49% of carries. That's the eighth highest rate in the league. So the Houston run defense has done a decent job and they're getting one of the worst run blocking offensive lines to this point in the season and an offensive line that's been dealing with injuries. So I think that, what probably happens is this game is the chargers just have to steer clear of the run game. And, you know, from a fantasy perspective, that might, maybe that helps a heckler because maybe that increases his usage in the passing game. So, you know, he's still going to have an effect on this game, but I'm going to be on the under on his rushing yards. So long as this line is anywhere over 50, probably. All right. So we've started out with a few running back unders. Let's go to an over. Now I like the over and Nick Chubb's longest rush this uh, in this game against the Falcons. This line has been available in the upper teens, and I think it's going to stay there, maybe 17 and a half, 18 and a half, something like that. But he's got a streak of seven straight games now dating back to last year where he's had a run of 20 yards or longer. So maybe this climbs up a little bit too high and we'll want to stay away. If it gets to 19 and a half, I'll probably stay away because at that point, I mean, even with the streak that he's on, even as good as Chubb is, betting on any running back to break off a 20-yard run in a given game, that's that's a tough bet to make. Those those plays don't come around all that often, and there's a little bit of luck involved sometimes. Now, I do think this is a really good matchup for him, though, because against the Falcons, excluding short yard situations, the Falcons have allowed at least three yards before contact 
at the league's sixth highest rate, 29%. So Chubb should have some room to run in this matchup. There should be some open lanes for him. And when Chubb is given at least three yards before contact, he gains 15 or more yards on 21% of his carries. That's That number is from this season, and it's consistent with what he did over the past two seasons, gaining 15 or more yards on 23% of those plays where he had at least three yards before contact. So if you give Chubb room to run at a pretty decent rate, he's breaking off one of these longer runs and getting into the secondary. So we think the Falcons defense is going to give him some of these opportunities, and we know that he's capable of taking advantage of it. Now, another reason I like it, first of all, the Browns are favored by two and a half. Obviously, that always makes us think there's potential for a little bit of an increased workload in the run game. But also, the Falcons offense has quietly looked pretty good so far this season, and the Browns defense has obviously shown some flaws at times. So this could be a higher scoring game. We could have more possessions in this game. And that could lead to more uh, touches for Chubb. So I like the odds of him having a couple open running lanes against this Falcons defense. And hopefully he takes advantage of uh, that and breaks off a run of, you know, 18 plus yards. Okay. One last running back prop. And this one I'll, I'll be brief because it's pretty much just about the matchup. It's I'm going to take the over on Alvin Kamara's receptions, assuming it's available at two and a half in this game against the Jaguars. It has a lot to do with how the Jaguars line up. They play cover two at the league's fifth highest rate this season. And since the start of last year, 19 of Kamara's 52 receptions have come when the defense is in cover two. So that's 36% of his receptions over the last year plus, despite the fact that only 16% of his routes have occurred against those coverages. So when the defense lines up in cover two, Kamara sees a substantial uh, usage increase in the passing game. So knowing that the Jaguars are going to use cover two more than most of the Saints opponents, I think this is a really good opportunity to bet the over on Kamara's receptions. Okay, let's jump over to wide receivers now. And we're going to start out with a prop that I'm not strongly recommending, but I kind of just wanted to talk through my thought process on here and give you some of the numbers that I've seen because it's it's an interesting it's an interesting one to think about because there's more to it than just the stats that I think you have to take into account and the the and DJ Moore's uh, receiving yards this week. Now he's obviously off to a terrible start, 88 yards through three games, um, and a lot of this is getting blamed on Baker Mayfield, and that's the part that I wanted to dig into to see like. Is something going on here that we should expect this to continue or has maybe this just been kind of a fluky start to the season and we should expect him to bounce back? And the reason I really wanted to dig into it more was Baker's getting a lot of the blame for this. And I should, first off, by no means should this be considered like in defense of Baker Mayfield. I'm not trying to argue that he's actually having a good season or anything like that. He's not. He's not a good quarterback. He's continued where he left off last year. He's struggling. But when has DJ Moore had a good quarterback? That's what I really wanted to dig into. Like his numbers have dropped off so much. Can we really blame it on the quarterback? Because even if Baker is a downgrade from Sam Darnold, it's not that much. And before Sam Darnold, there was Teddy Bridgewater and Kyle Allen and Cam Newton at the end of his uh, days in Carolina. So DJ Moore's never had good quarterback play. So What's going on with these numbers? Now, one of the things that I wanted to look into to see just how much of this is on DJ Moore was his catch rate on catchable targets. 
Because obviously, if he's seen a huge drop off in catchable target rate, then that would be on Baker Mayfield. But that's not the case. So I wanted to look at his catch rate on catchable targets. So when he's given an opportunity to make a play, how often is he coming down with the ball? Because that rate should be relatively consistent no matter who's throwing you the ball. Now, there's going to be some slight differences. The quarterback does matter. If you have a quarterback with pinpoint accuracy, that's going to give you, you know, you're going to have better catchable targets. There's a difference between a target that is absolutely on point and one that's just a little bit off that you have to go get. But for the most part, we shouldn't see a huge fluctuation in these numbers for most wide receivers, regardless of who's playing quarterback. So I'll go through DJ Moore's catch rate on catchable targets year by year over the course of his career in Carolina. Now, as a rookie in 2018, he caught 83% of his catchable targets, mostly working with Cam Newton that year. In 2019, mostly working with Kyle Allen, he actually increased to 93%, a career high catchable catch, catch rate on catchable targets from Kyle Allen. The following year in 2020, 92% with Teddy Bridgewater. Then last year in 2021 with Sam Darnold, we saw a big drop off to 76%. And then this year with Baker, an even bigger drop off down to 58%. And that 58% catch rate on catchable targets this year ranks dead last. Now, as I said, the quarterback matters a little bit. There's going to be a little bit of fluctuation. You know, if you're playing with someone who, you know, like Drew Brees in his prime, someone who's consistently putting the ball right on target, that's going to increase your odds of having a high catch rate on catchable targets but we're seeing a massive difference here from 93 percent with kyle allen who was not a good quarterback to 58 percent with baker mayfield you can't you can't say that's on the quarterback baker mayfield is not that much worse than kyle allen in fact he's probably better than kyle allen he's also probably a little bit better or at least on the same tier as sam darnold and he had a 76% catch rate with Darnold last year. So this huge difference, it, it makes me think two things. First of all, it's not all on Baker Mayfield. That is way too much of a difference to put all of the blame on Mayfield. But it is a small sample size, so it could be a fluke. That's another thing. But before we get into discussing the third possibility here of what's going on, I want to just dig a little bit further into uh, some Baker Mayfield numbers. because you might be inclined to say, well, maybe Baker Mayfield's catchable balls are just none of them are on target. Like maybe he's just that inaccurate of a quarterback. It's a reasonable theory, but it's one that we can actually test because Baker's been around long enough. We've got a few examples of some decent receivers that we can test his their numbers before and after Baker Mayfield. So let's start with Odell Beckham. In 2018 with the Giants, Beckham had an 89% catch rate on catchable targets. The following year with Baker Mayfield, 82%. So a little bit of a drop-off, but like I said, there can be a little bit of a fluctuation here. But the following season, it jumped up to 92% again, actually better than his final year with the Giants. So he Odell did just fine with Baker Mayfield in terms of catching the ball when it was placed in a catchable area for him. Another example we have with Jarvis Landry, we've got a bigger sample size that we can use here, and he's been remarkably consistent. I think this is a good one to use because we know that Landry is known for having good hands, just being a really reliable pass catcher. When the ball is near him, he comes down with it. So I'll run through Landry's numbers. In 2016 with the Dolphins, an 88% catch rate on catchable targets. The following year, still with Miami, 89%. In 2018, Baker's rookie year, their first year together, 78%. So a bit of a drop-off, 
But then 2019, right back up to 88%. 2020, 90%. 2021, 88%. So, Baker Mayfield had zero impact on Jarvis Landry. He's catching right around 88% of his catchable balls year after year. It doesn't matter who's throwing the ball to him. And that finally brings me to the one last guy, and perhaps more importantly, because we have the exact same quarterbacks from last year to this year, and that's Robbie Anderson. If Baker Mayfield is solely to blame for DJ Moore's disappearing act, then it should happen to Robbie Anderson too, right? Last year, Robbie Anderson had a 79% catch rate on catchable targets pretty similar to DJ Moore's 76%. This year, Robbie Anderson has caught 90% of his catchable targets. So Robbie Anderson has actually been a little bit better with Baker Mayfield. He's hauling in more passes that are in a catchable range. So, I mean, all that adds up to, it's not entirely on Baker Mayfield's fault. No, he's not a good quarterback. And we would love to see DJ Moore finally get an opportunity to see what kind of numbers he could put up with good quarterback play because we've yet to see that. But the drop-off from the, the previous years to this year, we cannot put that on Baker Mayfield when we've got all of these numbers indicating that Baker Mayfield's good enough for him to at least put up the same numbers he put up with Darnold or Bridgewater or Allen. There just isn't big enough difference there. So what is happening? As I said, it's a small sample size. There could be just a little bit of a fluke here. And that's why I'm that's one of the reasons why I'm inclined to bet the over this week cuz maybe this line drops enough that there's a little bit of value there and this early season struggles are just a little bit of just a random three game sample where he just didn't come down with a couple of passes that he should have. The other aspect of it though that makes this tricky to me is you know, he's now He's been in Carolina for a while now, and he's gone through this constant carousel at quarterback. And if he's getting a little bit frustrated by that, who could blame him, right? So maybe DJ Moore is kind of just going through the motions and collecting a paycheck at this point. And that's why we saw that big drop off last year. Remember, he dropped off that catch rate on catchable targets, dropped off from 92% to 76% from Teddy Bridgewater to Sam Darnold. And now we're seeing another drop off from 76% to 58% of Baker Mayfield. So this is trending in a bad direction, and it's not just this season. So maybe there's some of that going around. And I also have to kind of throw out the possibility, especially because it's Baker Mayfield, that maybe he's pulling an OBJ and tanking. Because just last year, you know, all these players around the league, they all saw what happened with OBJ. He tanked with the Browns. He was not trying. And he got rewarded with a Super Bowl ring for it. So uh, someone's going to try that again. And there's a non-zero chance that DJ Moore is doing it right now. I mean, we can't rule that out. So that's the part that makes me hesitate to bet the over. I think I'm going to do it because that seems like the less likely scenario. There being just a little bit of a random sample here with just three games seems more likely that catch rate probably goes up from here on out and he probably gets closer to what he was in the past but i'm not necessarily going all the way out to recommend it and i'll i'll leave it up to you to consider all these numbers and decide whether you want to join me on the over on this because there is that possibility we may see this continue because he may be either just kind of mentally checked out and just sort of inadvertently tanking himself or he may be doing it on purpose and pulling an Odell Beckham. That's We can't rule out those possibilities. So that's, that's what gives me a little hesitation. But one last number that I did want to throw out and why I particularly am inclined to bet the over on this week is I think DJ Moore has a pretty good matchup 
against the Arizona Cardinals defense. They've surrendered 35% more yards after the catch than expected based on route-adjusted data. That's the league's worst rate. And if you go game by game, it's been consistently bad. It's not just one team that's victimized them. It was plus 23% against the Chiefs, plus 20% against the Raiders, and then plus 69% against the Rams. So, I mean, those are three good teams, but still, that that's a really inflated yak number. So teams are doing damage after the catch against this Cardinals defense so far this season. And so this is potentially a really good opportunity for Moore to bounce back a little bit against this Cardinals defense. All right, we're going to wrap up with some Thursday night props, as always. Um, some of these lines are not available yet because obviously we don't know exactly what Tua's status is. But the first one I like, I, I like it regardless of what Tua's status is going to be this week. It's the over on Jalen Waddle's receiving yards. I expect it to be listed somewhere in the range of 64 yards. That's where it was last week. I think we probably see it right in that range, maybe even lower if Teddy Bridgewater takes over, and I would definitely like it. Uh, it probably jumps up a little bit if two is healthy. Maybe it climbs up to 70 yards or so, but I'd be willing to bet the over probably all the way up to about 80 yards. I think this is just he, – I think Waddle's just going to get his in this offense. And if you listen to any of the other podcasts this season, especially in the preseason, you know I really liked the over on Waddle's season uh, total receiving yards. It just had to do with having a lot of faith in Mike McDaniels. And so I'll revisit some of those numbers that I shared uh, prior to the season and update it with where he stands now. I mentioned that uh, yards after the catch over expected based on route adjusted data. I've talked about this in the past, but just quick explanation. The route that you're running has a really big impact on how many yards after the catch you're going to get. Best example is a screen route. No matter who catches a screen route, more often than not, you're picking up at least a few yards after they catch on that. But if you run a curl, for example, it's not uncommon for you to be tackled right there and have no yards after the catch. So based on the average catch rate or based on the average yards after the catch for each route, we can come up with your expected yards after the catch and then see what your actual yak falls above or below that. So last year in his rookie year, Jalen Wall had 14% fewer yards after the catch than expected. And that was absolutely embarrassing for the Miami Dolphins coaching staff to have a playmaker with this talent and put him in such bad positions that he was underperforming in yards after the catch. And it's just ridiculous. He's one of the most dangerous players in the league with the ball in his hands. And he demonstrated that in college where he had a 44% above expected yards after the catch in his final year at Alabama. That's a spectacular number. Even at the college level, that's a huge number. And so my reasoning for taking the over on Jalen Wall's season total was basically that, yeah, his usage probably drops off a little bit because they added Tyreek Hill. But Mike McDaniels actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows how to put his playmakers in space to make plays. His entire offense is designed around this concept. Waddle is exactly the type of playmaker he wants to get the ball in his hands and let him do damage after the catch. And guess what? It's working. So far this season, Waddle's yak over expected is plus 47%. That's fifth most among wide receivers with at least 12 receptions this season. He's doing exactly what we knew he was capable of doing. The Dolphins coaching staff last year was just incompetent and couldn't get him in a position to succeed. So this type of player, I don't think it matters who plays quarterback to get the ball in 
to get him the ball in space on these routes that he's running, Teddy Bridgewater is perfectly capable of doing that. So actually, from a betting perspective, we might actually be better off with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback because we're going to get a lower number on it. Now, from just purely as a fan and entertainment perspective, I sure hope to a plays because that could be a fun game on Thursday night if he does. Uh, but if he doesn't, I still love the over on his receiving yards. Now, the other bet that I like on Thursday night is the over on Jamar Chase's receiving yards. This one is posted already. It's at 71 and a half yards. And I like the over. And it has a lot to do with how his usage changes a little bit, depending on how the defense lines up. Now, the Dolphins, they tend to not use too high looks in their secondary. They rank 30th in their too high usage, using it on just 23% of dropbacks. And this has a pretty significant impact on how Chase is used in the Bengals offense. He sees a 20% target share when teams are in a too high look, but 38% versus all other coverage alignments. It also affects how Burrow throws the ball downfield. Since the start of last year, when teams are in too high formations, Burrow throws 10 or more yards downfield on 25% of his attempts. That jumps up to 38% against all other coverages. And if you just think about logically, this, this makes sense. Most quarterbacks are going to have a slight difference here uh, because if you're in a single high formation, it increases the odds that somebody is in a one-on-one man-covered situation on the outside. And so if it's Chase or even if it's Higgins on the other side, it makes sense for Burrow to take a shot downfield when he identifies uh, someone is in a one-on-one situation. So the fact that the Dolphins are usually lined up in those situations where Burrow's going to be able to uh, at least attempt to identify a one-on-one matchup, that's going to lead to uh, increased opportunities downfield. And I think Chase is certainly capable of uh, taking advantage of their defense and making some plays. Now, the other factor here, not about the coverage, but about Miami's blitz rate. Obviously, dating back to last season, this has been one of the most blitz-heavy defenses in the league. And for similar reasons, Chase sees an increased target share. Against the Blitz, he sees a 35% target share. And again, this makes sense. When you're blitzing, the odds of you having a one-on-one matchup somewhere increase. So anytime that leads to a one-on-one matchup for Chase, Burrow is looking that direction immediately. So there's a pretty good chance that Chase sees some good one-on-one opportunities in this matchup, some shots downfield. And that line at 71 and a half yards seems relatively modest for what we know he's capable of doing. So I like the over on Jamar Chase's receiving yards at 71 and a half. And I'll just throw out one other thing that I'm considering. Haven't made a final determination on it, but as you might guess, if I'm on the over on Jalen Waddell and the over on Jamar Chase, kind of leading towards the over on this game overall, I definitely think this could be a back and forth high scoring affair. I'm going to have to Take a closer look at it before Thursday, but that's something that I'm considering as well. That's it for this week's show. Hope you have a fun and profitable week four.